This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We'll be saying this kinah was composed by Yehuda Levi. This kinah says, On this day I increased my burden because I doubled my inequity. I stretch out my hand to spill the blood of the Navi of Hashem. And the earth will not cover it until my enemies entered. And the blood wasn't silent until the blood of Zechariah Navi was avenged. We spoke about this kind of before, about this episode before of the murder of Zechariah Navi. In one moment, Taisun became guilty of seven serious and grave affairs because they were tired and upset of hearing Zechariah's Nevoah, what's going to happen if they don't do tshuva. They went and they murdered him. They have the veil of murder, another veil of murdering a Kayan, another veil of murdering a Navi, another veil of murdering a Shafit, another veil of murdering someone in the Chatzar of the base of Migdash, and this happened on Yom Kippur, they murdered somebody, and that year it was also Shabbos. So a terrible, terrible Avera on so many levels. The Gemara tells us what happened. The Gemara in Gittin says, when the Buzuradan showed up to the base of Migdash, and he comes to the Chatzar, and he sees blood boiling on the floor, it's bubbling. He says, what's this? So the Yidin were fools. They said, oh, look, what do you think we do here in the base of Migdash? We shak karbonis. These are, this is blood from the karbonis. So the Buzeran said, really? Let's go check it out. I see dummy He brought the blood of other animals. He shafted other animals. He checked the blood and it wasn't the same. It did not resemble it. So Omar Luhun Buzeran said to them, Iam Risuli Muta. If you tell me really what's going on, fine. We love, and if not, I will tear your flesh with iron combs. Seems to be a favorite of these people. So the Kahanam said to him, what, what can we tell you? There was a Navi who used to give us muster all the time. We weren't so happy with hearing it. And we got up and we, we murdered him. So Nebuzaradan hears that. He says, okay. And he goes... He says, I'm going to go and be Matthias, the Navi. And he brought the Sanhedrin, Haggadol, and he brought the Sanhedrin, Kitano, and he killed them all, he slaughtered them, and he mixed their blood, on top of the blood of Zechariah, he mixed their blood with Zechariah's blood, but still, the blood did not rest. Beloinach, the Lord says, Beloinach, it was still bubbling. So, the Buzeran went, he brought 80,000 children, teenagers, youth, boys and girls, young men and young women, and he shafted them, 80,000. He mixed their blood with Zechariah's blood, and it still bubbled. Then he went and he brought Icy Teneka Shabbos Rabban. He brought the little kids from school, the school children, and he shafted them, and still the blood boiled. Omar Lein of Uzaradin says to, to talking to the blood, Zechariah, Zechariah, I killed the best of them. You want me to kill them all? 
And then when he said that, the blood finally stopped boiling. But he shaita, at that time, he had a hero of tshuva, and he thought to himself, if this is a punishment for killing one person, can you imagine how much more so I'm going to get for killing so many people? Arak, he ran away, and he sent a document to his family what to do with his things, be gayer, and he became a gayer from realizing what he did and what it took, the value of one person's life, of Zechariah's life. And that's what we say in this kinna, that's what the Yidin did in this kinna, such a terrible thing. The kinna explains that the thing, till the chief executioner came and he asked him why, why this happened, he says, the blood did not silent, and it continued raging like a sea. And we see from here that nothing goes unnoticed and every good deed and every good thought is recorded and rewarded and vice versa as well. There's a safer Supurin Arayim. He brings down that once there was a D-book that entered somebody about 200 years ago. And the person was, was running around like a madman, screaming and yelling. And they brought him to the Kajit Samagid. And maybe the Kajit Samagid could, could do something for him. And he comes inside, and the Kajit Samagid starts to speak to him. And the person looks at the Kajit Samagid and says, You're going to tell me? You're going to talk to me? Do you know who I am? He says, I was around 2,000 years ago. I was there when Zechariah was killed. I was one of the people who was there when Zechariah was killed. In fact, I was one of the people who threw stones at him to kill him. And you're going to tell me something. I never did tshuva, and I wasn't even zeichet to go to Gehenna. And I fly around from different bodies. The Magi went, and he learned, he learned Mishnahis for him, and the young man said Kaddish for him, and eventually that Tibuk left him. But we see how how upset the Yidin were at receiving this Nebuah over and over and over again, this Muster to do Tshuva, that when they went they killed him, even after right before they died and after they died, they did not do they did not do Tshuva for it. Even though it was so hundred so many years later. We should realize that even though this was a tremendous nace for the covet of Zechariah, that his blood was boiling for so long, we should know that this happened recently as well. Years ago, in Poland, they wanted to make a commemoration commemorating 20 years of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. In Poland. And they invited many dignitaries and they also had a delegation from Eretz Yisrael. Leading this delegation was Rav Yitzchak Yedidya Frankel. Rav Yitzchak Yedidya Frankel was himself, went through the Holocaust. He himself was in Treblinka. He later, when he survived, he came to Eretz Yisrael. His uh, daughter was married to, or was married to Yisrael Meir Lau, Shlita. And he was invited to come. He came together with a fellow named Gideon Hausner. Gideon Hausner was the chief prosecutor of Eichmann, Yimach Shemom, in the Eichmann trial. And these two led the delegation from Israel to come to Poland 
by this Warsaw Ghetto uprising. Unfortunately, by this commemoration, they made it pick, they made it out as if it was the Poles who upro- who who went and revolted in the ghetto, and they really downplayed the fact that there were any Jews there at all. Rabbi Frankel was not asked to speak, but in between two speakers, he got up from his seat and he started to say a kaddish, a slow, haunting kaddish, without the microphone. And there were many, many hidden on the sidelines who were watching. And they started to scream out a maniac From there, they traveled to Treblinka, where they took a little tour of Treblinka. While they're walking there, Rav Yitzhak Frankel looks in the side and he sees along the road by Treblinka there are bones. He turns to the guy and he says, what, what, "What's this?" He says, "What do you mean? These are the bones of you know Treblinka. This is what happened here. People got killed here." He says, "I don't understand. You're not embarrassed." You're not embarrassed? Cover them, bury them, do something. So the fellow looks at him and he says, Believe me. Believe me, Rabbi Franco. We tried everything. We buried it. And a little while later, it comes back to the top. We even put on asphalt. And we ran over with a steamroller. And a few months later, it popped up. We did it again and it popped up. These bones aren't going anywhere. That's why we left them here. But Franco went, got a newspaper from somebody, and he went around picking up all the bone fragments, and he took them to Eretz Yisrael. He buried them in Eretz Yisrael, and he put up a monument that says in it, Kedashim Treblinka. And at least these bones have the source of having Kfura, Kfura Yisrael, in Eretz Yisrael. But we should know the world is not Hefker. The world is not Hefker, and that's what we have to think about this terrible Avera that we even did by killing our own Nobi. The next kin will be saying Kinalam Vav. Starts off with the well known word Sion Halisishali Lishlema Sirayach. Sion, won't you ask about me, about those who are imprisoned, Darshish Lemayach, Bahim Yasser Adurayach. Go seek those who seek your welfare because those are the ones who are remaining. This is a kinna, also written by Rav Yudah Levi, who wrote this. This reflects his desire and his and his longing and his wish to live in Eretz Yisrael. In fact, out of the next nine kinnas, eight of them start with the word Tzion, showing our desire to connect and to go and to move and to live and to serve Hashem in Eretz Yisrael. He's well known that he authored the Kuzari. And in the Kuzari, he writes about a king who wanted to find out the true religion once and for all. So he got together a Jew, a Muslim, and a Christian, and they should have a debate. And representing the Yidin was a Yudah Levi. And of course, as we can well imagine, Yudah Levi won the debate handily. When he won, the story goes, the king asked him, he said, I don't understand something, you answer them so well. And you speak about Hashem so much in the base of Migdash in Eretz Yisrael, yet you don't really believe it. Says, what do you mean? Says, You're still here. If you believed it, you would move to Eretz Yisrael. That's what you told Rabbi Yudah Levi. And even though Rabbi Yudah Levi had an answer to everything that the Muslim asked and the Christian asked, he had no response. Because in truth, the king was correct. Why wasn't he there in Eretz Yisrael? 
story goes, he traveled to Eretz Yisrael, and he got there to Yisrael. As soon as he got there, he got off his horse, he bent down to kiss the ground, and an Arab on a horse came by and trampled him. He goes through the kina, and the kina he writes how he longs for it. So leave you the base kel. My, ha- my heart is to the house of Hashem, the base midosh, to the fnei kel, and before Hashem, my yehem, I, I long for intensely. We think about it. And <clears throat> his soul is referred to as Eretz Chemda Teva Ruchava, a land that is desirous. It's Chemda, it's Teva, it's good. Ruchava, it's expansive. Now we all know that Eretz is precious, it's desirable, it's good, but it's not expansive. It's not large. Eretz is not one of the places known for having a tremendous amount of land. What does it mean it's so big? And of course, we have to understand what it means that it's so big is all depends on where it is. If a person says, I own an acre of land, what does that mean? Well, it all depends. If he owns an acre of land in Montana, it doesn't mean that much. If he owns an acre of land in Manhattan, it means a lot. So it all depends where it is. A diamond may be small, but it's very, very valuable. And therefore, that's what it means, Eretz Yisrael, is Ruchava. It's expansive. When you think about the quality and the Kedusha of Eretz Yisrael, it's tremendous. And it continues, <clears throat> Who can make for me wings? And I will go and fly away to Eretz Yisrael. Again, up until years ago, this was a metaphor. We know today, we have no problem. We can just jump on a plane and go. The problem is we can also jump on a plane and come back. Really, we should be going, like Yerudah Levi, and staying there. Kinnah continues, Chai Neshamais Avir Artseich. A breath of life, our souls, is the air of your land. You know that Avir Dar Machim, even the air of Eretz Yisrael, is very special. Just to go and breathe the air of Eretz Yisrael. You know, there was once... Um, a Meshulach from Eretz Yisrael traveling around and he ended up in Baltimore for Shabbos and a fellow invited him a Meshulach from Eretz Yisrael person comes, he goes to Shul with him comes home with him more or less our homes have the same schedule Friday night and this fellow, he gets there sings Shem Leichem and the Zmir that he sings before Kiddush gets a bottle of wine for Kiddush and then before he makes Kiddush his family came up to him they stood there for a moment, then they all went back to their seat. And then the person made Kiddush. And the Shul didn't understand what was going on. Because after Kiddush, they went over to their father, the children, and the father gave them a bracha. After they washed, and the Shul asked the person, do you mind if I ask you a question? He goes, sure, go ahead. He says, I've seen many people give brachas to their children Friday night, as you did. He says, yeah. He says, but I've never seen people come up twice. You're about to make Kiddush, your family came up. I thought you were going to give them a bracha, and you didn't. They went back to the seat. What's going on? So the person smiled and says, listen, I live over here, I'd love to live in Eretz Yisrael, but I don't. What I do is, every Friday night and Shabbos day when I make Kiddush, I'm careful to use a bottle of wine from Eretz Yisrael. But you know, when they bottle a bottle of wine, they don't fill it all the way exactly to the top. There's some space over there. 
Well, this bottle was bottled in Eretz Yisrael, which means that air on the top of the bottle is air from Eretz Yisrael. If that's the case, when I open up the bottle, my children and family gather around so we can sniff and breathe in the air of Eretz Yisrael. If we can't really be there, at least we can breathe in the air of Eretz Yisrael. Chai neshamais avi artzeich. A breath of life for neshamas is the air of your land. And that is how we have to go and approach Eretz Yisrael. You know, the Zalacha brought down the Sefer Shabbatia Leket in the Kufnun Hay that when you bench, you should not have a knife uncovered on your table. Why not? Because it brings down a mice, there was a person who was benching. And in bench, he was speaking about the base Migdash in Eretz Yisrael. You start to think about it, how well it is, and what would happen there, and how the Kabbalists had by the base Migdash, and the Shekhinah by the base Migdash. And then all of a sudden, he, he got back to himself, and he realized it was just a dream. We don't really have the base Migdash. And he got so sad, he picked up a knife, and he stabbed himself. And therefore, we shouldn't have a knife on the table. Many years ago, someone asked, the previous square Rebbe of David Tversky, he said, does this halacha still apply today? Do we have to be careful with not having a knife on our table during benching? Nowadays. Do we have to be careful with this halacha? After all, we don't, unfortunately, we don't feel this connection and we don't have this thing to worry about. So David Tversky was quiet for a moment and he tells him, he says, look, unfortunately you're right. We don't have such a connection anymore and what we're missing with the Purban Bais, Mishon and Shani. However, we should still make sure to keep this and not have a knife on our table because we should remember at least that there once was a time that people were concerned about it. There once was a time when a Yid would sit by his table, he would take the knife off before benching in order not to have it on the table so he shouldn't come to do something with the knife when he thinks how we don't have the base of Migdash. So even though we unfortunately won't feel this way, we should remember that there was a time that people felt this way. We go on to the end of the Kinnah, and it says, We should go and behold the goodness of your chosen ones, and we should exult when you return us to Eretz Yisrael we have to realize as we spoke about earlier today that everything happens on Tishavav and Tishavav happened started off with the Miraglim speaking bad about Eretz Yisrael today with our frequent travel to Eretz Yisrael we may encounter things that may be uncomfortable or not so pleasant we have to be careful how we speak we should not speak about Eretz Yisrael someone was telling me he was in Eretz Yisrael he was in Yashami's house and he had an air conditioner and on the air conditioner there was a sign that said, Mazgina de Rav Asi Rav Ami. The air conditioner of Rav Asi and Rav Ami. Now this person wasn't a fool. He knew that Rav Asi and Rav Ami from the Gemara did not have air conditioners. So he's trying to think to himself, what, what's this new Humra now that we have an air conditioner, Mazgina de Rav Asi Rav Ami? So he asked the person, what, what's going on? So the person told him, you know, there's a Gemara in Tzuvis, Bays, that tells us, the Rav Asi and Rav Ami were very careful. Whenever they would give shear, they would make sure to sit under the shade of a tree. And as the sun moved through the sky and the shade changed, they were careful to get up and move over to the other part of the tree, to the shady part of the tree. 
So nobody should say the shear was a great shear, but it was too hot. It was uncomfortable. You don't say it was too hot, it was uncomfortable in Eretz Yisrael. You move to the shade. So this fellow is in Eretz Yisrael, gets very, very hot in the summer. He didn't ever want to say, oh, it's too hot here. So he has the air conditioner over there and it reminds him. The air conditioner here and it makes it pleasant because that's how it is in Eretz Yisrael. If you realize the, the godless and how much we can achieve in Eretz Yisrael, then we would appreciate that as well. Sila Shalish. The last kin will be saying, Kinimem Hey, Elitziyayin. The meaning is to sing this with a special nigan, which we'll do together afterwards, and then we'll finish with Ashram Elitziyayin. Elitziyayin ve'areha, kumayisha b'tzireha. Cry, Tziyayin, and her cities, like a lady who is having, suffering birth pains. And this is said after each stanza, again, after each one is said, again it says, And it's compared to the birth pains of a lady, which are very, 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 very painful. It goes through the, the kina like that. The question is, what's the comparison to the birth pains of a lady? In 1947, in 1947, in Kinnis, they were having Kinnis in Panovich Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. The Panovich Arav was leading the Kinnis, and there was no need that year to inspire the people to cry. These were all people who were orphans, who went through the Holocaust, just recently lost their parents. Many of them saw them being murdered before their own eyes. And there's no need to have to go and to motivate them, to explain to them what they're missing, they were very, very much aware. And when he got to the end of the kinnis, and he got to this one, Eletziyayin, he asked the following question. He says, what's this comparison to a pregnant lady? He says, after all, a lady's pregnant, and she goes through terrible pains, and the closer it gets to the pregnancy, Sometimes it becomes more painful than when the baby is actually, actually giving birth. It's very painful. But then, after all that pain, she has a baby. So the pain was worth it because now she has a child. We're sitting here crying over the destruction of the Beis Amigdash. How can we compare the two pains? That pain was a pain and we don't have anything from that pain. So why is it compared to a lady giving birth? And he explained that we see from here that this kinna, while it is indeed teaching us that we have to mourn over the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, we see from this kinna that the destruction of this Beis Amigdash and the Gaulis is a preparation for the Gula Shlema, Achreina. This is over here for the practice and to prepare for the final redemption. And therefore, while it may be true that we are, we are suffering and we have pain, we have to remember that it's really preparation for the final gula, and that's why it's compared to that, and that will be the nechama that we'll have. Yet at times we have to wonder, what is it that we are missing? If you look around today, Baruch Hashem, we have a lot going on with Yiddishkeit. Our yeshivas are full, Baruch Hashem. Our bisakas are full. Our kailim are full. We have no problem with kosher food. We are able to practice our religion freely. We can daven, we can learn. Baruch Hashem, things are wonderful. 
course, everyone's life is a few bumps here and there. But all in all, the faith of, and the, the fear of Yiddishkeit is very good. You go to Yerushalayim, it looks like it's all built up. It's hard to know when to say the brach on the Kurban of Yerushalayim. You drive through the highway, they're making new highways all the time. Everything's built up everywhere. It's hard to find a parcel of land in Yerushalayim to build on. Everything's so built up. So what is it exactly that we're missing? There was once a young man who was very fortunate to be born to his parents who had a lot of money. And they worked very hard for their money. But this fellow got everything given to him on a silver platter. He didn't have to work for anything. You don't have to work for anything, but you still have to do something. So he started collecting paintings. Not regular paintings, but expensive paintings. And he would go around, money was no problem. He would go travel the world looking for beautiful paintings. One time he was in Italy, he was in Painter's Row. An area, very, very narrow streets, and unknown artists were there displaying their art. He's walking down the street and he sees a painting. And it took his breath away. It was an unbelievable painting. It was a painting of a pinky. A person's pinky. But it was so real, it was so unbelievable. He turns to the fellow, he says, how much is that painting? So he looks at the painting, he looks at this guy, he says, it's too expensive for you, you don't want this one. He says, no, no, I want this painting, how much is it? He says, look, this is a painting, it's special, how much is it, I want it? He says, $3,000. $3,000? Puts his hand in his pocket, takes out the money. One second. I see you're serious, let me show you something. Goes over to the painting, he lifts up out the canvas, covering a little, and he sees it's not just a pinky. It's a whole hand. Guy looks, he lights up this unbelievable, such a realistic painting, looks so beautiful. Yeah, but now it's five thousand dollars. Fine, takes out the money. One second. Let me show you something. He lifts up the canvas a little more, and he displays a whole arm of a person. And again it looks so real, and the price goes up. And again he releases more, reveals more, and it turns out to be a picture of a person. And now it costs $25,000. I'm ready to pay for it. So one second. And he reveals some more. And it turns out it's a picture of a painting with a beautiful scenery in a house. And the guy's ready to spend any amount of money for it. That's the end of the mushroom. For those of us who have been lucky in this first to ever go to Eretz Yisrael, go to Yishalayim, and go to the Kaisal. You come to the Kaisal and we start davening, we pour out our heart, and we don't have a difficult time shedding tears. We become so emotional, we start davening, and we feel so inspired, we feel so, so connected. But we have to remember, as unbelievable feeling that we have by the Kaisal, the Kaisal is merely the pinky of the Beis HaMikdash. The Kaisal is the outer wall of the Chatzar of the Beis HaMikdash. And look at the feeling we have when we go to the Kaisal. We can use that to, to think for a moment of what we're missing. If this is the way we feel by the pinky of the Beis HaMikdash, can you imagine what it would be like to actually have the Beis HaMikdash? So with everything built up, with everything that we have, all we have is merely a pinky of the whole picture. So how do we do that? How do we get the whole picture? How do we go from the pinky to the whole painting? How do we go from the kaisel 
to the whole base of Midrash with the Shekhinah and the Avaida and the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And with that, we obviously understand that if the Ver, the goddess here, primarily was Sinas Tinam, imagine the pain a parent feels when he sees his children fighting, we have to go and eradicate Sinas Tinam. And to eradicate Sinas Tinam, you have to have Ahava Tinam. You have to find excuses to love people. You have to find reason to love people, to do Ahava Tinam. Last year, on Tishavah, we spoke about the concept of Imay Nechi Vitzara, of creating a Havastinam by Imishtatav in someone else's pain. I want to focus on a different point now, the last few moments that we have, and that is, we have to focus on the good of people. We have to focus on the good of people. And anytime we interact with somebody, we should look for the good. And if after we look for the good in somebody we can't find any, we have to look again. Look for the good in that person. If after looking for the good in that person, we still can't find anything, we have to look again, and again, and again, until we find something good in that person. Because every person has something good. And once we find that part, we have to focus on that part. And that has to be what our interaction is about. You know, the 1950s and 1960s, the state of Israel would sell bombs. They still do. But at that time, they would come here, and they would make a whole big dinner, gala dinner, the state of Israel bombs dinner. And of course, the people that attended these dinners were out of the upper strata of society, (coughs) of Jewish society, and they would come. One year, one of the dinners... The guest of honor was none other than the Prime Minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, himself. As you can imagine, by that dinner, it was a packed house. And all the well-heeled Jews were there. They all showed up for this dinner. Unfortunately, this dinner was not one that followed a Jewish schedule, a Jewish menu, and a Jewish itinerary. It had nothing to do with kosher, unfortunately. And one of the wealthy people there was walking through, and all of a sudden he sees somebody standing there in his rabbinic garb. And it's not other than the Mendel Kaplan from the Skokie Yeshiva later on, joined the Philadelphia Yeshiva. Very chosh of Margaret's Taylor. And this fellow knew him because he helped out the Yeshiva. He comes over and says, Rabbi, what are you doing here? You didn't come to greet the Prime Minister of Israel, and you definitely are not here to enjoy some uh, non-kosher fare over here. So what are you doing here? So Mendel Kaplan just looked at him and he smiled. He said, I'll tell you what I'm doing here. I came here because I wanted to see how the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov line up to give tzedakah, to support Eretz Yisrael. I just wanted to watch that. Can you imagine? All these people, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> all these people are gathered here and they're having non kosher food with mixed dancing and other unfortunate things going on. And yet, Ramanda Kaplan was able to come, instead of saying how disgusting this holding was, he was able to come and say, Look how the Yidin, the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, are giving tzedakah. You always have to find the good in Yidin. Now, you may think this is godly goop good feeling stuff 
Really, it's not. Really, this is a lesson we learn from none other than Zechariah Novi. This is Yeshaya Novi. Yeshaya tells us, Perek Samach Vav, Pasuk Yud Gimel, like a person who is consoled but comforted by his mother, this is how I, Hashem, will console you, and Yishalayim will console you. You have to understand, what does it mean, Hashem will console us like a mother will console a child? How does a mother console a child different, or comfort a child different, than any person consoles their child? <clears throat> Rav Lau, Sol Mayor Lau, explained the following. It's in 1973, by the Yankippur War, Israel was caught by surprise, and unfortunately there were many, many casualties. While they would fly the casualties to different hospitals, the most serious injuries were flown to the Ichalov Hospital by Tel Aviv. Rav Lau made it his business to be there to comfort the soldiers as much as possible, to comfort the families, and to help as much as he can. A lot of the people that were coming had burn, burns on them because they were stuck in tanks, and the tanks were hit. Many of them burned to death. Those who survived were brought to this hospital with numerous burns. There was one soldier there who had burns from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He was completely burned. Him and his crew were caught in a tank, and only him and another person got out alive, but they were completely burned. And this soldier was sitting there and lying there and screaming and screaming in pain for hours. And the doctor was telling him, You have to stop, it's not good for you, it's not good for all the soldiers here, please stop. And they gave him one shot of morphine, and another shot of morphine, and a third shot of morphine, and it didn't help, he was screaming and screaming from pain. His mother was there, his father was there, trying to help, he would not stop screaming and screaming. Rav Lau was on the other side of the room speaking to some other people, when all of a sudden, it became silent. The soldier stopped screaming. Rav Lau looks up, and he was scared to look over, because he realized, if this soldier stopped screaming, the only thing that could mean is that he passed away. And the Ravlau quickly gets up to walk over there and he sees that he's sleeping quietly. He's resting and sleeping quietly. And he turns to look at the mother. And the mother explains, <clears throat> I was trying to find a place to console my son, but I couldn't touch him anywhere. He was covered from burn from the head to his toe. Everywhere, I couldn't, I couldn't help him that way. Finally, I was searching and searching and I found a few inches by his knee that was not burned. There was some skin a few inches by his knee that was not burned. I quickly went and I started to caress him and to touch him over there and caress him more and to stroke his skin over there. And I told him over and over again, it's okay. Mommy's here. It's okay. You're going to be okay now. And after a few moments of stroking him on that small little part of skin that wasn't burned, and comforting him, he fell asleep. And this is what Yeshayi Navi is telling us. This is what Yeshayi Navi is telling us, that Hashem will comfort us 
like a mother comforts her son. How does a mother comfort her son? She will continuously to look for a way to comfort him. And if this way doesn't work, she'll find a different way. If that doesn't work, she'll find a different way. She will always look for the way to do that. And that's what the Navi tells us, that Hashem will do the Kiesha Sher Imoy A man will be consoled, just like a mother consoles him, so too Kena Neichi Anachem I will also console you. But how will this happen? If Hashem sees that we do this to our brothers and to our sisters. If in every interaction we have with our brothers and our sisters, we're always looking for the good, then Hashem says, I can go and comfort you, and if we do that, then it will end, we'll do the end of the Pasuk, we'll be comforted by Yerushalayim. We should be Zaycha, and this should be our last time ever mourning and crying on Tisha B'Av. And I'll stand now and we'll sing together, and then we'll say, You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.